we're, we're excited. We're in this series. We're week two of what we're calling Rugged. We're walking through the book of Malachi. So if you have your Bibles with you, go and open up to Malachi. Malachi is the very last bi- book in the Old Testament of your Bible. Um, and that's important for us to understand when it comes to the context, because God decides to have a very important conversation with his people, with the, the nation of Israel, um, kind of his adopted ones that he said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show a different type of grace because I want to be an example to the rest of the world of kind of who I am and my love. And uh, in, in this conversation that he has that's delivered through this man named Malachi, to the nation of Israel happens, and then there's this 400-year period of silence. And at the end of the 400-year period of silence, you see Jesus comes on the scene. And so this is a very important conversation, because it is to carry kind of the people of God through this season of silence um, that honestly lasted for a long time. And there's some very important conversations, some very important things he wants them to kind of tune into to remember about who he is as they go into the silence. And I don't know about you, there's been moments in my life where I feel like, God, are you there? Are you listening? Why are you silent? And even one week of that drives me nuts. So imagine going through this generation after generation after generation for 400 years the things that God is having a conversation with him, he wants them to remember. He's saying these things are important because they're going to help you be rugged in your faith through this season. They're going to help you manage this moment of silence. Please don't only in, you know, understand this personally, but these are the type of things I want you to carry from one generation to another generation. Share this with your kids. Share this with your grandkids. Help them understand who I am. Don't forget my love for you. Don't forget my provision for you. And, and he's giving them tips, important disciplines to make sure that they don't miss in how they understand God's goodness and his love for them. And so this is a call to being a rugged follower. In other words, a rugged disciple of Jesus. Because life can sometimes be hard. Life can feel like, God, are you even there? Do you care? There's moments where we walk through moments of silence, and it's the rugged discipline. It's the rugged discipleship. It's this willingness to be hard-nosed and good. I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what, trusting the fact that his goodness has carried me to this point. He has not changed. He will continue to be there. He'll continue to walk with me. Why? Because you matter to him. I want you to hear that this morning. You matter, and he's calling us to be a rugged church a rugged people that, that follows him wholeheartedly, no matter what the world throws at us, no matter the challenges that we, we face. Now, the big idea of kind of where we're going to focus in on today is simply this idea. Your life is a mirror of your thoughts and action. Your life is a mirror to your thoughts and action. In other words, the way that you live your life, the way that you engage in conversation, the way that you care for your kids, the way that you are patient with teachers, the the way that you care for your spouse, all those type of things are a mirror to the rest of the world, a mirror to the people around you, to really what's going on in here. In other words, we can't truly hide, as much as we may think we can, really what we focus on the most. The call that we're going to see that God has, that he delivers through this man named Malachi, this family chat, in other words, that Malachi is having with them, is going to focus on this whole idea of worship today. 
And, and here's the thing. God created you and I to be worshipers. We, we all worship something. Now, what is worship? The, the easiest way I could define and help us understand what worship is, is worship is the thing you think about the most. What is that right now in your life? For some of you, it may be your finances. Others of you, it may be education. Others of you, it may be your kids. We all worship something. But God created us to primarily be worshipers of him because when you put it all together, he is supreme. He is the almighty. He deserves most of our attention, most of our priority, most of our focus, most of our thoughts should be centered on him because all good gifts, as James says, comes from God above. And so he's calling us to take a look at what are we actually focusing in on? What are our thoughts centered around? How do we look at worship? And the way that he delivers this conversation is he actually goes directly after the priest. And he's, the reason why he goes after the priest is because they're the leaders. And really what they do and how they lead permeates throughout the culture and helps build the overall culture of how people see God, how they interact with God, how they worship God. So we're going to pick up today in Malachi chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 6. We're going to read all the way through verse 14. We're going to pause here and there, and then we're going to take some time to kind of dissect this today of what is he actually getting, what does it mean for us today? So let's take a look at this. Malachi chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 6. He says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts of you? O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. Let me just pause there. It's interesting. He goes right at the beginning. He says, hey, I've loved you as a father a perfect father. Sometimes our own earthly perspective of fatherhood could skew our understanding of who God is. Don't allow your experience of fatherhood or how maybe your father has let you down here or there, here on earth, skew the perfection and the holiness of how God actually cares and provides for you. God wants to be seen as a perfect father walking with you through all the ups and downs of life. He will never leave you nor forsake you. What we saw going back to chapter 1, verse 2, God right away begins by making sure that he connects before he corrects. And the way that he chooses to connect, he says, I've loved you. And, and his people call out and question, well, how have you really loved us? He's reminding them now, okay, you want to know how I've truly loved you? It's, I've loved you as a father. And he's saying, the way that you've honored me is anything but the way that you should honor your father. You've despised me. That's strong language. This is idea like you've hated me by the way that you've interacted with me. You've despised my name. You've loathed my name. And the way that you've chosen to honor me is a direct representation of that. You treat my name disrespectfully. You care very little 
for who I am and the role that I've chosen, chosen to play in your life. And the interesting thing is the priests here are like, really? It, like they question him in this moment, which in itself shows the fact that they despise who God is and his place in their life. Continuing on in verse 8, he's helping them understand, this is how you've despised me. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those who are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present, to, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. And I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting of my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name in pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So he's explaining them to hear, these are the ways that you've despised my name. God, if you go all the way back even to the book of Leviticus, set together kind of what acceptable offerings were. And the reason why we even have the book of Leviticus and why, as you kind of read through it, it says, hey, you need to do this, you need to do this. And there's like these list of rules and the way in which you need to proceed through kind of religious ritual and what offerings were to be offered, and when the offerings were to be offered, and what sacrifices needed to be offered for this. You may read through the book of Leviticus and go, this is boring, and just want to skip to the next book. The reason why God goes into such detail is God is trying to help us understand the incredible holiness of who he is and how sinful we really are. And so when you begin to read through Leviticus, he's setting that tone. This is who I am. In order to try to comprehend who I am, this is what you're going to need to do. These are the disciplines you need to learn to engage in. And that will just give you even a little bit of glimpse to my holiness and how different and set apart we really are. This is how to honor me. And so one of the things he talks about in the, the way in which we were the, the people of God were to come before him in a sacrifice, were through unblemished animals. Like a perfect lamb, the firstborn, unblemished, and that was to be offered. The first and the best. So those that were, even those that were farmers would bring the first of their harvest, the best of their harvest. That was the intention, that God deserves our best. And so they'd present that. We've seen different elements of how that even kind of translated even to culture here in America just even a couple decades ago, that people when, would come to church, they would come in their Sunday best. And so there's this idea that God deserves all of who we are, our entire heart. He deserves the best of who we are. And what God is pointing out to him is, says, guys, you've forgotten all of this. You're just going through the ritual to the point that you're offering to me animals that are blind. Like, you wouldn't come before the governor and offer what you've offered. Why in the world would you offer that to me? As God, your perfect Father, almighty, holy, set apart, completely different than anybody or anything. Malachi, through the words of God here, he's saying to the priest, the name of the Father which you dishonor was sick, sheep, mangy goats, that name, don't miss this, 
that name one day is going to be revered and it's going to be held in the highest esteem by every nation in the world in every place on earth. That's who I am. And he's like, you can choose to participate now or it's going to be carried along later. Continues this thought in verse 12. He says, but you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, this is interesting, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or is sick, and this you bring as your offering. It's like, shall I accept that from your hand? Says the Lord. And then verse 14, catch this. If you're one of those underlines, keeps notes, underline this. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. He's saying, if that's the way you want to live your life, you just want to offer me your scraps, your leftovers, you want to hold the best to yourself, he says, you're cursed. That's a weighty thought. And not only that, he calls you a cheat. He said, cursed is the cheat. There's one person I don't ever want to be against me. It's God Almighty, the creator. He goes on, for I am great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Okay, let's, let's begin to break down this and, and help us understand what is, why is he having this conversation again and what is important for us to grasp out of this? Remember, we began talking about worship. Worship is what we think about the most. When we give our affections and we praise to something or someone, that's worship. For some of you, you may have come to the church, even today maybe your first time, you might be going, why in the world, like, why we sing this song? And why do people raise their hands? Why are people clapping? Well, I, I put it this way. I love football. When Notre Dame scored the touchdowns last night against Ohio State, even though it wasn't enough, I jumped off my couch like this, right? Like it, it naturally created an affection and, and an emotional moment. So there, there's an honoring that takes place. So even as we sing songs and we worship in church, you may see people from time to time raise their hands. And we laugh as church people because you can tell kind of where people are in their comfortability. You have people that are this with their hands. You have people that do this with their hands. You have people that do this, and then you have the double-handed, right? You have all these different kind of ways in which, but, but that's why people raise their hands. There is an honor. It's like, God, you're just, you're worthy. I want to focus. I'm celebrating you. And so it just naturally brings our hands up. Again, it requires us to ask ourselves, what are we thinking about the most right now? What are we truly worshiping? Because true worship of God, and what God is trying to help the priest understand here, because what the priests do and how they do it, it carries throughout all the people. True worship of God is when we learn to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind. In other words, we, it's when we begin to prize God above everything else and everybody else that he is in first place within our hearts. Now, let's break this down. There's some key things that we need to come to grips with here. The first thing is this. Culture is created by what is taught and what is tolerated. 
Culture is created by what is taught and what is tolerated. In other words, people tend to take on the culture and the character of their leaders. The leaders that God had chosen to be appointed to help guide people where they needed to go in Israel and among the nation were the priests. So that's one of the reasons why God here is having a very direct and a very hard conversation with the priests in this part of Malachi. He's saying, guys, you set the tone. You've set the culture. You've created the direction by which everybody else is now following your leadership. And this is such a prevalent thing. God takes it serious. I mean, let, let's, let's, let's take it from a non-church perspective for a moment. Again, we're, we're, let me use this illustration. I'm going to use football as an illustration. Um, if you've been following along with anything going on in the sports world right now, you know that Colorado Buffalo's football team is being talked about all the time because of this man named Deion Sanders, Coach Prime. And everybody is in love. Everybody's excited. People are tuned in that have never watched Colorado football because they just want to see what in the world's going on. And there's this natural charisma. There's this following there's a shift because last year they were 1-9 and nine as a football team. For non-football people, that's awful, okay? People weren't coming to games. People weren't spending money. Like, nobody wanted to be seen in a Colorado hoodie. Like, it was not going well. He comes in, and this summer he shifted everything. From right out the beginning, he just looked at most of the players on the team and said, you need to just hit the transfer portal because there's probably not going to be a place for here to play here. And he was setting a new culture. He's setting a new tone. So much so that they're now calling it Deonomics as to what he's actually created in Boulder and with Colorado football. For instance, let's kind of zoom in on that for a moment. Colorado Buffalo's gear in the team's online store, since Dion has, has come on as their coach, has jumped 505% since December. 500% increase in their sales in their store, team store. Sales just this month are up 764% over last year in September. Deonomics. It's the biggest month of sales ever on the team website. The university sold 22,457 season tickets which is the first time that they've ever sold out in the last 27 years. And it's only the ninth time in school history that they sold out. His sunglasses line, which he partnered with a company called Blender's Eyewear, has made $4.5 million in sales in the past week after the Colorado State coach criticized him for wearing sunglasses to the press conference. Get that. Jumped $4.5 million in a week. Our leaders create culture. Whether or not you like it or you don't. Who are you allowing to speak into your life? What culture are you following? Culture is created by what is taught and what is tolerated. Let's personalize this even for a moment. 
What in our world have you become numb to? In other words, what are you tolerating in your life and around your life that you probably shouldn't? Here's here's the way to clarify it. The things that are not okay in heaven are not okay here. What are you tolerating in your life that isn't holy? It's not godly. It's not helping create the culture in which God has intended to create. I've had the opportunity to to go to churches in some of the most remote places of the world. And I'm always blown away when I meet people that traveled three hours, four hours, on the back of a little teeny motorcycle or motor scooter to get to a church service. And Americans have a hard time getting up and going to a church service because I was up too late partying the night before. Like when I I read through the book of Malachi, there's so much of what I see that he's calling their attention to that is prevalent in our society today. He's calling us to a different understanding, a ruggedness in the way that we decide to follow him. The rest of the world may say something's okay. Our friends may say something that is okay. Are we willing to stand and toe the line and say, you know what, that's not honoring to God. That's not holy. I'm not going there. What have we become numb to? What are we tolerating that we shouldn't? The priests were careless in their handling of the sacrifices. And it carried over to every person in their society, in their culture. And the way that, again, it's put in Malachi, they despise the name of God. And, and, and God calls them on it. He says, hey, would you treat your governor this way? Let me, let, let's, let's, again, let's put it in our terms today. Let's say your son, your daughter, your niece, your nephew, they really, really want a puppy. And you have the task, you have the opportunity, you have the privilege to go and pick out their puppy. They didn't even give you that much parameters as to what kind of puppy you need to get. They just said, hey, would you go get me a puppy? Or would you go get them a puppy? You're not going to go out and find the sickest, most lame, blind puppy and go, hey, here, right? Right? I mean, even if your nephew, your niece, your son, or your daughter were old enough, they'd be like, I don't want that piece of junk. I mean, they're going to call you on that. And what what God is calling them is, that's exactly how you're treating me. You're like, well, this this blind, lame, one-legged puppy was free, so here, right? How often does our worship reflect that way to God? The way that we give of our thoughts, our time, how we engage in our worship, both here corporately, but even in our day-to-day life. When I'm in the car, my bank account, those things reflect what we think about the most. Where's God on that list? The second thing I think he calls us to here is indifference breeds recklessness. 
when we become indifferent, it becomes a very, very dangerous thing. In other words, when we become careless about who God is and the greatness of God, and we don't recognize it for who he really is, when we go to like verses like verse 2 when he says, I've loved you, and we're like, how have you loved us, God? I, I don't see it. We despise his name. We, we don't see the way he's demonstrated his love for us. It's a very, very dangerous place for us to find ourselves. It makes a, a person, the way that he words it, words it here, verse 13, he says, but you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or lame or sick, and this is, bring, and this is what you bring to me as an offering? In other words, the danger here is when we become indifferent, he's saying, you become bored with me. He said, you've grown weariness in this. You're bored with God, and you're excited about the things of the world. In other words, you've lost sight about the greatness of God. You, you miss who he really is. You miss the holiness of God. You miss the greatness of God. You've missed the almighty provision of God in your life. In other words, you focus so much on your current circumstances, you allowed your circumstances to blind you to the greatness of who God is. And so because you don't see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can buy become very exciting to you. If, in other words, if you can't see the sun, you'll be, you'll be impressed by a streetlight. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed by fireworks. If you turn your back on the greatness of God, you fall in love with the shadows of our world, which are just short-lived pleasure. They're bored with God. Their basic attitude towards worship is they're bored. They're grown weary in it. And they've become so blind, hear me out, they've become so blind to the creator of the galaxies, the ruler of nations, the lover of our soul, that they become bored. And the only thing that is left for them is to love the things of the world. Because God, again, has created us to be worshipers. And if we choose not to worship and follow and engage God for who he is, we're going to find something and we're going to fill that space with that other thing, which tends to be the things of the world. It must have its treasures, if not in heaven, then on earth, right? The third thing we learn about worship here is that worship becomes worthless when it becomes mere ritual. Worship becomes worthless when it turns into just ritual. In other words, it doesn't express the greatness of who God is. We just do it because we think that's what we're supposed to do. We show up because we want to check that box. We say a prayer because, hey, that allowed me to check two boxes this week. We become flippant about how our heart actually engages the heart of God. My push to each and every one of us as we move forward as a church, as we, we try to strive to become the people that God has called us to be, don't allow this to become ritualistic. There's such a deeper call. 
God doesn't want your rituals. God wants your heart. He wants you to think about him. He wants you to ponder his greatness. That's what worship is. That's why we come together. Now, next week, we're going to take some time. We're, we're going to actually take a break from the book of Malachi next week. And we're going to talk a little bit as it being our celebration. We're going to talk about where is our church going? What is God calling us to be? And, and when we say that, it's, we're not talking, again, we're not talking about the building. We're talking about us. And, and I want to encourage you to be here next week. It's a very, very important conversation. We're going to be talking about some, some things, some change, some opportunities. I want you to be here next week. Help us get the word out. Be here, okay? I can't be more clear about that. But I want to finish off by talking a little bit about this. We, we've seen what God is calling them to. He's, and he's pointing out, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. Focus on me. So let's just take a quick moment. Let's talk a little bit about what does true worship actually look like. In other words, what does excellent worship look like? Here's five quick things. Number one, it's an expression of feelings towards the greatness and goodness of God. It's, it's truly engages our heart to express and just say thank you. There's a gratitude that overflows out of our life and just says, God, thank you. When's the last time you've gone through something difficult and actually been able to say thank you to God? That's where he wants us. Why? Because honor needs to go up. When honor goes up, blessing comes down. That's true in our own lives. I mean, I, it was so funny. Last Yesterday, we were at a softball game with my daughter, and my, my seven-year-old was running around, and um, his grandmother was sitting next to him, and he ran up real quick, and he kind of, he's a seven-year-old. He's just going to be demanding at times. And there was another grandma just sitting on the other side, and, and I, the only way I could characterize her is she's old South grandma, okay? Mama, let's just call her that, all right? And she quickly corrected Joshua. It was, yes, ma'am. Like, because there was this, you need to understand honor. And, and, and I appreciated that. Like, there's something in all of us. Like, we need sometimes, we need that correction. Honor needs to go up. Blessing comes down. The second thing is, it comes from the heart. True worship comes from the heart, where God is treasured above all else. I love the way David put it. There was a moment in the history of Israel. David is, is the king of Israel. They were facing a plague. And in, he's off-site, he's on this person's land, he decides, I need to stop right now, we need to make an offering to God. And, and the landowner, the, the one who had the lambs and had the sheep, he, he offers these to David, here, just take mine, let's, let's use mine and make this. And this is what David says, he's, he's, but the king replied to Arana, he says, no, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. I wonder how oftentimes we would actually actually be willing to do that. I like free. My guess is you do too. Like there's an element like, oh, I don't have to pay for this. I like that. Like I'll take that sheep. Yeah, thank you very much. I could check the box. David's like, I'm not doing that because I know where my heart is. And I'm willing to invest. I don't want to offer anything to a holy, great, almighty God that has cost me nothing. Whew, that's challenging. And so, in other words, he's calling us, uh, true worship is something that engages us at the heart level. 
The third thing, worship, true worship isn't just a cool experience. It's not just something that we come and go, man, that was a good band. Uh, man, I like the preacher. He was on point today. Worship is beyond just an experience. It's connecting to the heart of God. Number four, it's not just warm emotionalism. Sometimes we, we can look at it and go, man, that, that gave me the feels. That was a really good worship today. It's not about the feels. It's not about just emotionally engaging. It, it's a call for just not just our emotions, but our, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, focusing on who he is. And the last one, true worship is the thing that moves us away from kind of this idea, this back-level spirituality, this laid-backness. It, it moves us from away from status quo, just doing what everybody else is doing, and it becomes personal. It's this, I have to worship because of who God is and what he's done. I have to grow in my understanding of him. And it, and it creates this desire to pursue depth, pursue a deeper understanding of who he is. Melissa and I have been married now 20 years plus. And I fall more in love with her each and every day because I learn something new about her. I, I grow in that. And my desire is I want to grow in understanding her more and more. And that's just a small reflection, I believe, of who God is in our lives, that we should have this desire to pursue him more and more. We want to know him more. We want to experience him more. We want to see more of his grace. We want to see more of his provision. But we want to know him more. The more that we know him, the more we fall in love with him. And that's what worship is all about. Guys, let's not lose sight of how we worship, how we think, what we think about. It all matters. Let's focus in on Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord, we need you and we love you. And God, help us to see your heart, not just in this Sunday moment, in this hour, but tomorrow on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Help us to see who you are, to fall more in love with who you are, to grow in our understanding of your grace and your knowledge. I pray in the name of Jesus.